Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Rob Basham. We are continuing in our series, Incarnate, the concept of God becoming man this morning. And we are in the book of Isaiah, and we are taking a look at these redemptive shifts, these movements that happen because God became man. We see the people of God, and they, we see them moving from, from a, a position of battle to a position of rest. And Jennifer shared with us last week what that looks like. And we see this movement from dark to light. We see a movement from, from disgrace to prominence, from poverty to abundance. And we are looking at these shifts this Advent season. We're looking at how these movements affect us, how because of God's dwelling, indwelling spirit in us, we also are called to image Christ, to incarnate Christ to the world that is around us. I love the book of Isaiah. It's one of my favorite books, and yet at the same time, it's a tough book for me to get through. It actually makes me super uncomfortable to read some of the chapters in this massive book of prophecy. You see, it deals with a lot of topics that I'd rather not talk about. It deals with judgment. It deals with discipline. Yay, Merry Christmas. And yet, at the same time, it's a book that we do utilize at Christmas because it, it just it releases immense hope. There's all this hope that we see in this book. And in chapter 9 is where much of that hope begins to be introduced. It's a passage that is likely familiar to you. We read much of it last week, and we'll continue to look at it in the coming weeks. It's familiar because we sing much of the prophetic words that are given here. These prophecies, I trust that they build your faith like they build mine. God gave these words to Isaiah 700 years before the coming of Christ, and they all are fulfilled, and it is this incredible thing. The other thing that I love about the book of Isaiah is the imagery that is used. God gives Isaiah this incredible imagery to give to the people to help them understand what he is trying to communicate to them. And in that, we see the character of God. We see the narrative of the gospel foreshadowed here in the book of Isaiah. Before we jump into it, I want to briefly just give us an overview of kind of the narrative of what is happening in the book of Isaiah. And so, will you just, just come with me on this little journey? In Isaiah 2, we see the purpose of the people of Israel. The purpose of the people of God is given. They are given a clear purpose. They are to draw all nations to them. They are to become attractive. They are, the, the imagery that we see is they are this prominent mountain that people are drawn to, that people notice, that they go to because of the prevailing peace that is there. It is a place where wisdom is dispensed, and people are drawn to that. That is their purpose. Yet much of the book of Isaiah isn't written about showing them that purpose. The much of Isaiah is written to awaken them to the fact that they have left their purpose, that they have forgotten their purpose. And again, we see this incredible imagery. They are called silver that has become like worthless slag. They are called pure Willamette Valley Pinot that has lost its, lost its beauty. It's been watered down. They're called fine wine that has been watered down. They're unfaithful. Their leaders are called murderers who hang with the rebels and love their bribes. They have put their trust in political alliances instead of God, and they have forgotten their purpose. And thus, much of this book is actually about judgment and discipline. 
Discipline that's meant to purify. Discipline that's meant to awaken them and get them back on track to that original purpose. The discipline and the correction are fierce. And again, we have this immense imagery. And they're compared to this incredible oak tree where people come to find rest that people are drawn to. And yet God has to chop it down. He leaves only the stump. Not only does he leave just the stump, but it is burned. And so we have this new imagery. Isaiah is even given the word, he says, if even a tenth, a remnant survive, it will be invaded again and burned. The people are nearly destroyed. This is the reality of much of the prophecy of the book of Isaiah. And much of it is fulfilled because the empire of Assyria descends down upon this area, this land, and they invade it. Nowhere in the nation of Israel is the devastation worse than in the region of Galilee, in kind of these two almost like counties, Zebulun and Naphtali. But the theme of Isaiah shifts, and we get to look at that today. See, here in chapter 9, ever so briefly we have this shift, and there is a hope for a return to a purpose and a return to prominence. The prophecy is given of a king that will one day rule, that will bring from freedom from these oppressors. And this shift is from judgment and discipline to hope that we will read about today. So if you would, turn with me to Isaiah 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Turn there and then turn back one page to Isaiah 8. It's found on page 571 of your pew Bibles. While the words of Scripture are inspired, these little numbers that help us find our way aren't. And we're concentrating on, on 9 verse 1 today, which I feel in many translations put actually with chapter 8. So I'm going to start by reading in chapter 8 verse 20. Isaiah chapter 8 verse 20. Look to God's instructions and teachings. People who contradict his word are completely in the dark. They will go from one place to another, weary and hungry. And because they are hungry, they will rage and curse their king and their God. They will look up to heaven and down at the earth, but wherever they look, there will be trouble and anguish and dark despair. They will be thrown out into the darkness. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. This is the word of the Lord. Here in this passage, especially the end of 8 and the beginning of 9, we see this incredible shift from disgrace to prominence. 
You see, the collective people of God, they are at this position where they seemingly are lost, where they have been disgraced by the Assyrian army. Their land has been pummeled. They are being oppressed. And yet, this promise comes that is fulfilled, and they move to a position of prominence. The prophetic word was fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ, God becoming man. We see this in the Gospel of Matthew. It says that he went first to Nazareth, and then he left there and he moved to Capernaum. He moved to Capernaum beside the Sea of Galilee in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. And this fulfilled what God said through the prophet Isaiah. In the land of Zebulun and Naphtali beside the sea beyond the Jordan River in Galilee where so many Gentiles lived, the people who once sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death cast its shadow, a light has shined. Jesus, the Messiah, is born, and much of his ministry happens in this Galilean region. This is where he goes and selects his disciples. This is where he carries out the majority of his miracles. This is where he goes after his resurrection. It is this area that is called blessed. What good could come out of this region? What good could come from Nazareth? How about the Savior of the world? This region, this land moves from a position of disgrace to a position of prominence. And we see these people move from fierce discipline to a place of blessing, to a place of favor, to a place of prominence. Prominence is kind of an interesting word. It literally means to stand out. The dictionary definition of prominence is it's a condition of standing out from something by physically projecting or being particularly noticeable. That concept of being attractive, being noticeable to what is around you. A couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to travel to Paris, and I had always wanted to go to Paris, but the Eiffel Tower was not on my bucket list. I didn't really care about this weird object made of metal that serves no purpose. I had no real desire to go see this. I wanted to go to France for the bread and the cheese, right? I mean, that's why you go to France. But I'll never forget when I was on the subway, and the first time I caught a glimpse of the Eiffel Tower, I said, wow. And I couldn't wait to get there. And as soon as we had some free time, Jess and I got on the subway and we tried to find the Eiffel Tower and we got closer and it just became, it was magnetic. We needed to see this thing and we couldn't wait. And it was truly beautiful. It was this prominent structure that just draws people to it. And church, that was what Israel was to be. They were to be a prominent mountain that drew the nations to it. You see, we're to be prominent. It's not about like a, a health and wealth. It's not about a concept of, of being standing out to such a level of beauty that people come to you, but it is one of favor. It is a position of people taking notice, saying that there is something about when I am with that person, with that community, there is something about them. The prominence here involves wise counsel. It involves peace. It involves people that are releasing hope. It's not fame, but this quality that says, I want to know what makes them tick. I want what they are having. Have you ever been around that person or that family? Maybe you had a cup of coffee or you went away, you went to, to a dinner and, and you were with this person and you just loved being around them. You, every time you leave them, you feel like you are filled up. Maybe it's the conversation that just becomes very life-giving. Maybe it's you just feel blessed by time with them because they're imparting wisdom or they just have a compassionate, listening ear. Maybe they just somehow impart joy to you. You don't know why. You just laugh a lot when you are together. Have you ever been around that type of person? Church, that's God's desire for you, to make you that person 
to make you that person that people just love to be around. That's his goal. Church, this prominence that we're talking about today is that. You see, I believe that God longs for his spirit to transform us to a place of prominence. It's God's desire to draw people to himself through you, through us, causing people to be attracted, drawn to, counseled by you. He wants to make you prominent. Not with celebrity status, but through face-to-face influence. He has put a purpose in you and on you to image him. Church, God took this region of Galilee, these forgotten people, this nation of Israel, and he took them from disgrace to prominence. He remembered this region. He restored these people. He poured out his favor on them so they would image him, and he still is in the business of doing this today. For some of you here today, for some of you, this God that became man is pursuing you. He is wanting to remove your shame. He is wanting to take you from a position of disgrace and bestow on you his grace. A grace that you can't earn. A grace that you don't deserve. And it is simply extravagant because it flows from the love of Father God. It's a gift. And for those of you who are in that position, God longs for his spirit to transform you to a place of prominence today. For some of you here, your path hasn't been the easiest. The last couple of months, the last year, the last decade have been rough. And like the Israelites, you have walked through some trials. You have felt that you are in a position where you are forgotten and left. Is there even a pulse of faith left in you? You feel this favor and this prominence that we're talking about today is far from you. It is not your current reality. Maybe you're angry. Maybe you're cynical. Maybe you're not even sure why you're sitting here right now. And yet you are. And I believe it's because God longs for his spirit to transform you as well to a place of prominence. And there's others in the room this morning who know on a level that you have experienced the favor of God. Maybe it's a generational blessing that just happens to lay on your family. But this purpose within the faith to image God, this concept within the kingdom of God that he utilizes us to image himself to our world is something you want nothing to do with. You're not interested in that, and I get that. You don't want to be prominent. You don't want to stick out. You don't want the pressure of having to image Christ. But church, it is part of his plan and purpose for us. It is part of his plan and purpose for his church. And might he be calling you up to something new this Christmas season? Because for you, I believe that God longs for his spirit to transform you to new and greater places of prominence to those around you. This morning, we're looking at these couple of verses. And in these verses, especially in 9-1, we see some things about the character of God. The first thing that we see there is that prominence is possible because we have a God that redeems. Prominence is possible because we have a God who redeems. Unto us a child is born, this gift, God becoming man, it brought our redemption. You see, if God was to to take the strength finders test, this redeeming thing that he does would definitely be one of his top strengths. It's what he does. He redeems. He makes the broken beautiful. He restores the seemingly forgotten to positions of being blessed. He moves people from anguish to peace. He makes the last 
First, he created the old Jerusalem and he took them and he made them the new Jerusalem. His redemption moves us, moves us from disgrace to prominence. We often feel, fail to see the gravitas of the word redeem. It doesn't carry the weight in our culture that it should. You see, here, around here, what we do is we redeem cans and we redeem coupons. But Christ, Emmanuel, the Messiah redeems fallen people. He specializes in seeing those in positions of disgrace, and he is the lifter of their heads. Church, this position of disgrace is where we were and where we could have been left in our rebellion, in our sin. And it is no action on our part that moved us out of that. It was simply a gift, a gift that cannot be earned. This redemption is through grace, and it is a gift. And the other thing is that there is no one in this room that has done anything that disqualifies you from receiving that gift. Christ came for the worst of sinners. In my time in the Middle East, I saw a torturer and I saw a terrorist come to faith in Jesus Christ. Church, it is incredible to see people grasp the, the extravagance. Those who often in, in their minds have hit rock bottom are often those who receive it in the most amazing ways this extravagant grace. They truly understand the forgiveness. They truly become the new creation. They truly experience that freedom in real and fresh ways. He redeems. It's what he does best. A second characteristic that I see related to prominence here is that prominence is possible because of a God who brings new life out of burned stumps. He brings new life out of burned stumps. Stick with me on this one. It will make sense. You see, the tree has been cut down. Israel was a great oak. They were a great oak, the place that was prominent, that attracted people to them. And yet they had to be cut down, and they became a stump, a stump that was burning, a stump that was smoldering. There was seemingly no sign of life. The faintest pulse was left. The Assyrians had pillaged them. They had torched their land. They had removed their king. There was little hope. The temple had been desecrated. Seemingly no hope at all. And in a way, this is what has happened to many of us. You see, there's many of us that are gathered here today. And we would look back and say, all was well. It seemed that we were living in his favor. We were the oak. And then came the divorce. Then came the addiction that we couldn't shake. Then came the argument where I said something that I could not take back. Then came the pregnancy. Then I let the cynicism come in and change me. Then I lost that job. And then I became the smoldering stump. I felt that there was no hope. I feel that I have the faintest pulse of faith left. There are a good number of us in this room today that feel like the smoldering stump. But church, this is part of the beauty of Christmas. This yearly reminder, this yearly reminder that we have hope. Hope because God became man incarnate. The coming of this wonderful counselor, the prince of peace. Things can change because God longs for his spirit to transform us to a place of prominence. 
The Israelites knew that their God was true to his purposes and promises. They'd seen him take them from disgrace to prominence before. And with this prophetic word in Isaiah 9, hope began to arise that a new king would one day come and set them free. But not much was left to be redeemed. They were simply a burned stump. A couple of years ago when my family moved to Salem, we bought this house, and out front of the house there were these four really overgrown shrubs. These shrubs had become kind of mini trees. They became big enough that when you got to cut them down, you had to get a chainsaw. And so I cut these four shrubs down, and I spent numerous hours getting the roots out of the ground, having to just sit there with this, I don't even know what you call it, and just pound the ground and get the root out. And I got two of these huge root balls out, and it exhausted me. And I looked at the other two root balls, and I said, I'll get you next year. And my hope was that the rains would come and those, they would start to rot and they would just kind of start to decay and I could pop them out a lot easier than these first two. But to my surprise, that's not what happened. Because though I thought they were dead, they were not dead. There was still life left in them and they began to come back. And now I have these two beautiful regrown bushes in my front yard. A reminder to me that oftentimes life comes out of what is seemingly done. New life. In church, here in Isaiah, we get this imagery again. The stump comes, from the stump comes a holy seed, and we are given this amazing prophetic word in Isaiah 11. We see in Isaiah 11, it says, Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. From the smoldering stump came a new shoot. God was with them. He preserved these people, and he wants to preserve you. From that ash came Jesus. From that ash, from the refining fire, came the king of kings to free his people, to release grace over those who had been disgraced, to return the people to their purposes, and to return them to prominence. I love the imagery of Isaiah. And so, church, if you're here this morning and you feel like you're the forgotten one, you're the smoldering stump with little to no sign of life. Understand that the good news of Christmas is that God became man to help rescue the sick and the seemingly forgotten. It's what he does. God came to his people first in the Galilee region, these people who had suffered the most. And from that place, he launched the salvation of the world. God sees you in your difficult spot. He sees the smoldering stumps and he specializes in speaking hope, releasing grace, and putting you back on the path to prominence. God longs to transform you with his spirit. He longs to transform you from shame to being justified, to understanding that you are sons and daughters of the living king. You are prince and princesses of the king of kings. Because of that calling that is on us, as we move towards prominence, we are also called to emanate his goodness. We are called to emanate his truth. We are called to initiate his justice wherever we step foot. It was the plan and purpose for the people of God and the Israelites, and it is our purpose as well. And the third thing that I see in this passage is this, that with prominence comes responsibility. With prominence comes responsibility. Here's the thing, though. Most of you don't like this idea. You've got enough that you are responsible for. For some, you are saying that it's hard enough to live an honoring life of God just trying to fit in, and now you want me to stand out? Others here are saying, trust me, you don't want me to be the one standing out. I'm a mess. 
You don't want me in a place of prominence. I'm not the example of salt and light that you want. And for you, being noticeable feels impossible or maybe shaming. But church, this isn't an assignment. This isn't a to-do list. This is an invitation to take the position that we have in Christ seriously and simply be us. Simply be us. Walking life knowing that we are sons and daughters of the King of Kings. It's a way of being. It's not an extra burden. I think that there's tension here and that oftentimes we want to run from the idea of being image bearers of God to our world. We want to run from this, this invitation. We want to run from it because of these misconceptions that are out there of what it means to be that. You see, when you go to the to party with your friends that don't know Christ and it's an ugly Christmas sweater party, you do not have to wear a sweater that says, keep Christ in Christmas. That's not what it means to image Christ. You don't have to wear this sweater. You don't have to force everyone to awkwardly sing happy birthday to Jesus at your Christmas party. You see, we have these misconceptions of, of what it means to, to be imagers of who he is. Well, that one's funny. What is not funny is that for many of us, imaging Christ looks like it did for the Pharisees. It looks like flaunting our moral superiority and putting on a show that makes it seem like we have it all together when we go into public. Church, that's not imaging Christ. That's exhausting. It's exhausting. That is also inauthentic. And if you're stuck in that rut, I want to let you know something. Unfortunately, those that you're holding up the facade for see right through it. They see you trying, and they don't want whatever it is you're offering. I think we need to just step back and remember what it truly means to image Christ. It means it looks like freedom and joy. It looks like celebrating the redemption of who you are. It's gracefully admitting our shortcomings because we stand in forgiveness. It's being honest and open with those in our community. It's being salt and light. Salt simply makes things better and helps preserve. Prominence involves us making others around us better and helping them preserve through the trials and sufferings that they walk through. Light illumines. Being light means helping guide people in wisdom. It means showing them peace. It means revealing the truth of Christ with a winsome manner. You see, I believe that when we see what this responsibility is, not a to-do list, not holding up some fake facade, but simply us living life in community with Christ as center, being ourselves, it becomes more of a privilege than a burden. And so how do we steward our prominence? How do we image Christ and how do we be noticeable to our world? There's so many ways, but today let me just give you a couple. Let me give you three ways that you can possibly begin to do this. Many of these I realize you're already doing really well. The first, we steward our prominence by being generous with what we've been given. Ephesians 4 says that each of us has received a special gift through the generosity of Christ, and now we get to share that gift with others. We are a generous people. We do this well. 10,000 pounds of food, that is generosity being lived out. To help understand what generosity is, sometimes it's good to look at the opposite. And many of you know someone stingy in your life. For many of you, a picture of someone just came in your mind. To be stingy with time, to be stingy with wisdom, to be stingy with money. When I was in high school and even some in college, I had the opportunity to, to wait tables, something I think everyone should have to do at some point in their life. And as I waited tables, I, I remember hearing the, these rumors. You know who are the worst tippers? Christians. It's true. 
It's true. Church, this Christmas, can I just remind you that imaging Christ to people in the service industry is 20%. Not a Bible tract that says this is more valuable than money. It's not a napkin that says you need a savior with some strange bridge diagram drawn on that that makes no sense to the wait staff. Church, being generous is, is, is how we are a signpost to our world. It's not a perception that we have it figured out. It's simply the fruits of the Spirit emanating from us. It's us being generous with our time. It's us being generous with our wisdom. It's us blessing people with peace. It's living out those fruits. It's the Spirit of God emanating in how we handle our relationships, how we suffer well, how we deal with conflict, how we deal with family, how we deal with family conflict, because this is a Christmas sermon, and you're going to have family conflict. Likely. And it's an opportunity. Church, be generous this Christmas season. Another way that we steward our prominence is we speak hope. It is a privilege to be able to speak hope to the smoldering stumps. It is a privilege to speak hope to those who haven't yet tasted God's immense grace. Because this is God's character, this releasing of hope, this releasing of redemption. Because it's his character, when you do it, consider it done. Our God specializes in doing this. And so this next coming weeks, when you hear God's word give you a word for someone else, a word of blessing for someone, do me a favor, speak it to them as a declaration. Consider it done. Leave out the, the, I think I heard God say this for you, and speak it as though it's already been done. And and as you, you walk around and God nudges you and his spirit comes and he tells you to smile at that person on the street, he tells you to smile at the poor person that's behind the deal doing the returns on December 26th, when he tells you to, to give that person a smile, trust that that smile affected their day and that you just released hope because you image the king of hope. Third and final thing, we tell stories about his redeeming grace. It's one of the ways we steward our prominence. We tell the stories. This was the key to the people of Israel holding on to their hope. They told the stories. They recalled God's past mercies to remember his present promises. They recalled his past mercies to remember his present promises. The people in this Galilean region waited 700 years for the promise. How did they hold on to hope? I believe that they told the stories. They told the stories of how when they were in a position of disgrace, how when they were slaves in in, in Egypt, and how they were brought up up there, and they were moved into the promised land in a new position of prominence. They told the stories of how they went from, from being people of exile to Nehemiah being released to rebuild the city walls. They told the stories. In church, we as individuals, as a church community, we have these redemption stories as well, and we need to tell them. Stories of our salvation, stories of healing, physical and emotional healing, stories of provision when Jehovah Jireh came and provided for us in these amazing ways when we didn't see it coming. We need to keep telling these stories. This is how we show the prominence of who he is to those around us. Church, God longs for his spirit to transform you to a place of prominence. It is possible because he is a God that redeems. It is possible because he takes smoldering hopes and he speaks hope over them. He is the lifter of head. And so church, as you walk in his favor, may you find incredible joy in the privilege that you have to image him to your community in your city. Let's pray.
Jesus, we thank you. Lord, your servant Paul told the church in Ephesus that he was praying that their conversations would be gracious and attractive. And I pray the same thing for my brothers and sisters here. May our conversations this Christmas season be gracious and attractive. Lord, to those in this room who, who are wanting to be your image bearers, Lord, I just pray that you would release courage. They, they would just simply know that they can be you, who they are because of you, and that you will draw people to them. So we release that courage. To those in this room that are smoldering stumps, Lord, we pray that you would ignite hope. Spirit, come now and meet them. We know that you see them, so see them in their place now. As they cry out to you, would you just ignite a new level of hope? Would you make them know that they are seen? And would you just begin to lift their head and put them back in a position of prominence? And to those in this room that have not yet realized who this God that became man, who has this free gift of grace, to those that haven't received that gift of grace, Lord, as we respond to you in worship, would you pursue them now? Would you stir something in their soul? Would you draw them to your cross today? And would you bless them? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.